1: you're listening to the Tom Green interview. Hello everybody, it's Tom and uh, got a great show today. Felipe Esparza, uh, an incredibly successful uh, comedian. He won last comic standing. He uh, immigrated to the United States uh, from Mexico when he was just a kid. Has some amazing stories about that. I can't wait to talk to him. He's got two stand-up comedy specials coming out. Two stand-up comedy specials coming out uh, on Netflix right now. Go watch those and all of his other stand-up specials he's amazing and go see him when he uh is doing comedy in your city hopefully soon hopefully this uh will be uh, a new uh normal soon where we'll be seeing comedy again but uh i uh, i'm doing great i just want to talk to you guys one-on-one for a minute before felipe calls in and uh, just let you know that i'm thrilled to be here on audio up we are having a great time with this show I appreciate everybody for tuning in. Uh, it's an excellent, excellent thing to uh, be affiliated with these guys. This is a great, a great, great thing. And I'm loving all the feedback I'm getting from you uh, online, on my Instagram at Tom Green, on Twitter at Tom Green Live, and on my YouTube.com slash Tom Green channel. So listen, I'm uh, I'm not sure how, how much you've been following along, but... If you follow along with what I'm doing on my social media and here on this podcast, you'll see that I'm, uh, I'm going all over the world now in this van, all over the country in this van. Um, I'm, uh, I'm recording this episode in Los Angeles at my home, uh, but the studio is also in the van. And uh, at any given point, I might be broadcasting from the van or I might be broadcasting from home. The van. I might be broadcasting from the van. I call it the uh, the podcast uh, destructo mobile. I just made that up. <laughs> the 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 podcast from anywhere, uh, you no know, broadcast webovision mobile is what I call it. I just made that up. But I really want you to uh, really get into this world. And uh, and follow along with all aspects of it Not just this podcast Because, um, you know, the, the the video that I'm putting up on social media Is complimentary to this podcast um, We're on an adventure right now And I want to try to create a fun environment here for you guys uh, Because we're in a sort of a shitty time right now And it's unbelievable that we've... In some ways gotten used to it But the fact of the matter is It's a shitty time And uh, I want to try to Create an environment here on this Podcast that is Positive and that might Be a little distraction From what's going on without Ignoring it and um, I, I uh, I'm happy For the outlet you know You listening to this show is as cathartic to me, probably more cathartic to me certainly than this show would be for you. I'm not trying to create cath- cath- catharsis for you. For me, it's really a catharsis to vent uh, into this microphone every week. It actually gives me some peace. You know, it's the same thing with stand-up comedy, and you know? I think Felipe and I will talk about this in our interview stand-up comedians, we need to get up on stage. We need to be able to speak our mind. We need to be able to vent. And, of course, that's for the benefit of the audience. And hopefully we bring some laughs and some some therapy to people. But really, without, without you know, without mincing any words here, we're really doing this for ourselves selfishly. You know, comedians need to get up on stage and talk. And in this time when there's no real comedy happening not in the traditional sense. Uh this podcast is really taking taking that place for me and I uh I'm happy that you're here to listen. I'm I'm actually very thrilled about the technical aspects of this podcast as well. I hope you're enjoying the sound quality. I put a lot of effort into building this little studio. And whether it's here or whether it's in the van, I've built it in such a way that I can make it mobile. And over the course of the next year, I'm going to be popping up all over the country and doing interviews with people in person as well, all over the place, in my portable broadcast mobile. We're going to come up with a good name for it. All right. So without much further ado... Let's jump into an awesome conversation with Felipe Esparza, the incredible uh, stand-up comedian and uh, performer. And uh, stick around. After the interview, I'll, I'll check and talk to you guys a little bit more, let you know a few things that are going on. All right. Here's Felipe. All right, everybody. This is exciting. Felipe, how you doing? Great to have you on the show. me. Oh, this is amazing. How have you been uh, handling this pandemic? Have you been missing stand-up or have you been out doing shows?
2: I've been missing stand-up a lot. This is probably the longest
1: I've been away
2: from stand-up since I began doing stand-up. But I did, do, I did cancel two shows. I canceled the shows uh, in Houston and San Antonio right after those three comedians tested positive for COVID when they got home. So I was supposed to go the following week after them. And I said, nope. I kind of postponed it. But I did, I did go to um, Bricktown um, Comedy Club in Oklahoma City.
1: How was that? Was there a lot of, uh, were people wearing masks in the crowd? Or what was the? Yes. Yeah? And what's do people laugh the same when they have a mask on?
2: Yes. All the way, when we got there. There was people outside, you know, hanging out before the show, smoking bowls, you know, <laughs> on the side of the club. Yeah. And those guys approached us, you know, and we were, like, thrown off, you know, because we live in California, everybody wears masks. But this guy was just hitting bowls, smoking uh, bowls. And one of us just reached out and, with his phone, and he took a selfie. And I was like, whoa. But we went inside. They were taking everybody's temperature, everyone. And everybody wearing masks on the way in. All the waitresses were wearing masks, but people took off the mask to drink and laugh. I don't think there's time, you know, time enough to take your mask, put your mask on, or take a drink, laugh. Right. For the most part, everybody was. They pushed the crowd further from the from the comedian, so there's like a six feet, more than six feet distance away from the from the audience. Yeah. And um, everyone was. It was half full. Everybody that was everybody in the front row had their masks on. I couldn't see in the back and I guess some people chose not to have their masks because they were sitting with people they knew so they all they all arrived together. There was nobody sitting with strangers in the club and we didn't have no meeting greet. We didn't meet nobody and there was the waitress that we had. she wore a mask in the green room and she she was the same staff we had all week.
1: It really does change probably the experience. I haven't done stand up since the pandemic started, but it must change the experience because so much about it is going out and meeting the fans and hanging out with everybody after and having a maybe having I have a beer with them sometimes. I mean so it's like yeah. you know, does it does the dynamic change or is it still kind of you're doing comedy and everyone's having a great time, of course, right? Everyone
2: everyone was laughing hard like like, they were happy to go out. They were happy to see a comic. And they were um, laughing even at the jokes that I really thought were not strong enough for
1: that laugh. Right. So well, so, yeah, were, pe- people have just been kind of stuck in their houses. They're probably just really happy to get out and do something. Now, how you, you started doing stand-up in what year? You've been doing it for a long time. But you, you started in what – and you went I on and you – started,
2: like, in 1990. The first time I went up on stage – was like 1995 or 90 late 94, but that's when I first started, you know. But, you know, you're so um, afraid to go go back on stage. So I will go after on 94, and then 95. But in 96 is when I really started hitting the hitting taking it serious and going up every day.
1: And you're, you're the example of, uh, you know, someone who's lived the American dream. I, was, I didn't realize I was reading about uh, your story a little bit before our interview today. We've, you know, hung out before. I've been on your podcast. But I didn't realize what you went through to get into the United States when you were younger. How old were you when you came to the United States? And tell me a little bit about that journey.
2: I was, I, was, I think I was five years old or five or six years old or but I know I started kindergarten late, you know, when I was supposed to be in first grade. So I was about to be five years old. And my little brother was four, and my other brother was one or two years old. My brother and I, my brother Angel, were like nine months apart. My mom got pregnant, like as soon as she had me again. So <laughs> people say we're Irish twins.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: So, and then my other younger brother, he came in a year later after my brother so the three of us, we crossed—my my father came first to America. Like he established himself with our job, and I think he had his papers together already. And he came to get us, but we didn't have our papers. We crossed the border with um, a regular man that we didn't know, and we, they, they stopped us by San Clemente, California, which is by San Diego. And there was a checkpoint, I remember a little. And they just um, deported us. Send us back. We went there. Then a the second time, I forgot how we got there, but um, they, they, we got deported again. But the third time was the one where my aunt said, "You know what? Let's just." Um, she went to um, San Diego or this little town called San Ysidro, which is the first town you hit when you come in from Mexico. And we we took their passports, but we didn't know we were little. They just looked at the passports and. It's like they were handing out roles, you know, like movie roles. Okay, you're gonna be you're gonna be this guy, you're gonna be this guy, and we had one, the little girl, her name was Patty, and my aunt said, "Well, to my little brother, I guess you're gonna have to be Patty," and my aunt got my brother, um, took my brother's clothes off and put him a little dress, and my brother started living like a little girl for like two weeks. Right. so you will mess up you know and ruin it for everybody
1: right right so we right. get
2: to the, we get to the border and I talk about this in my second special Translate this which is not uh, available anywhere anymore and uh, we get to the border and my brother says potty and then the, 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 the we made it yeah, my brothers. Um, my, so this day, my brother's still party. You know, he's gay now, but it's all good. Yeah.
1: <laughs> what What was that oh, like? Yeah, we were, what was that like when you're a little kid and you're trying to come to America and and you can't get in at first? I mean, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking, uh, you know, of, of the land of opportunity, and uh, or or, or are, are you scared? What's that feeling like?
2: I, I'm, I'm mostly scared.
1: Because I, my
2: parents never told us anything. Like They should have told us, like, "Hey, we're going to be going to another country, it's illegal. But my, for, my parents, I guess, they didn't want to scare us with that, but we're more scared of the unknown, you know? They should have just told us, this is a plan, okay? But they, were, they never spoke to us about it, probably because they thought we were too little or not smart enough. We were smart enough to figure it out on our own, but we are just afraid of the unknown. We didn't know where we were going every time we got in that car. Nobody
1: told us anything. So you get to America, and you're living in Los Angeles, right, when you got here? And uh, then eventually you start doing stand-up comic- comedy, and you go on and you you do amazing on Last Comic Standing. Did you win Last Comic Standing? Is that...
2: Yes, I, I won last summer yeah. standing. You, you I, won I the, the whole enough. thing.
1: You won the whole thing. The whole thing. And now you've got this, you know, incredibly successful, massive comedy career that's been going on forever, and you're just doing amazing. I mean, that that just is is such an American success story. You must... Uh, do, do people in Mexico, are they very, you know, proud and excited that you've done so well in this country? Yes, the, when I was... T-
2: Practicing my 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 Spanish version of the special, I had to go to Mexico. I went to Tijuana, Mexico, to do stand up in Spanish, um, amongst uh, people who speak Spanish, you know, so I could get a real taste of Spanish speakers instead of um, America. Because I was trying it out in San Diego, I was trying it out in all over Los Angeles, but. The people here in LA, they were laughing because they messed up my, the same words that I was messing up. Right. Or whenever I spoke something with an accent that sounded like a word that I was messing up or I made up a word, you know, like sometimes you just make a words. Right. And they were still laughing, so I needed a real audience, you know, somebody that's not gonna take my side or laugh with me because they're just as clueless of the words that I'm speaking. So I went to Mexico, and immediately when I messed up a word, I got heckled in Spanish. Right. They yeah. they yelled at me in Spanish. They said, "Hey, speak right,
1: or go back to your, go back where you came from. Go back to your country." Right, right, because they're probably a little sensitive about this. How now you're this American guy coming down? It hasn't even know how to speak Spanish yes. properly. <laughs>
2: yeah, coming over there with um, with American style
1: stand up now now what do what what's stand-up comedy like in tijuana? Do they have comedy clubs there? oh man comedy Mexico
2: right now is going Mexico and like some parts of Latin America, like all the way down to Venezuela and Argentina there's a comedy boom in the latin in latin america there's comedians popping up everywhere like this comedians area that are there's a there's a Spanish version for Comedy Central Mexico and they're giving away comedy specials to comedians over there like like they do over here but I'm like oh thinking wait, wait a minute wait a minute you giving away specials to comedians in Mexico we got Mexicans here in America that need specials <laughs> maybe you, ever so think about, then, you know what I'm you're, gonna do both
1: English and Spanish right you ever think maybe you move back to Mexico and do a show in Mexico
2: I think I will. I will because I was with um, I did Bill Bird uh oh, Bill Bird yeah Bill Bird Bird and Bill Bird and Bird Chrysler Podcast and I was telling them that in Mexico City they know you guys already you know like they know Tom Green they know Bird they know Bill before they know me you know because they, they a lot of the people in Mexico City they speak both languages English and Spanish they're very um, cultured and they they like a lot of the Western culture, you know. And there's a lot of Americans who live in Mexico City and Europeans and people from Haiti. So you guys will do, you guys will do well already, you know. You could go in there and fill up a 1,500-seater with English speakers, which I want to do with Spanish speakers.
1: I got to work on my Spanish, maybe. I should go do a show in Mexico. That would be fun. Uh, yeah i think you'll do well now 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 what are you uh planning on doing now with the pandemic are you gonna start doing stand-up again in america or are you able to tour now or or what is actually happening for people that aren't paying attention or just don't know what's happening
2: what's happening right now is that there is that many comedy clubs open and from what i heard and um from the younger comedians I mean, I'm talking about the younger comics, the comedians that are killing it with 20 minutes. You know, they have a strong 25 or they have a strong 15, a strong six minutes. I heard that there's a lot of... um, From what I heard, there's a lot of speakeasy comedy clubs going down in people's basements and a lot of rooftops, you know, a lot of parking lots. I know in San Diego, they're they're packing up cars, you know, 10 cars with their own... um, and a comedian performing outside of the parking lot for them. But I'm not down for that right now, man. You know, I'm not going to take my chances. I'm going to just wait. And um, I'm booked in um, Wise Guys Comedy Club, and I'm still booked in San Antonio and Oxnard in California in December and Ontario, but I don't know if they're going to stay open. Yeah. But as far as drivers, nobody has invited me.
1: Yeah, yeah. Going back to, to the beginning a bit for a minute, what was it like when you won Last Comic Standing? Did you know you were going to win the second you got there? And what was that experience like? Was that just overwhelming?
2: When I was on Last Comic Standing, I was nervous, you know, but I've been doing it for a while. I had a lot of jokes, but I wasn't, um, i just say I wasn't, um, at most comics, I was, um, Procrastinator when it came to putting a set together. But the closer it got to like six, I was like in episode six of Last Comic Standing, and then seven, and then I really thought I was going to get knocked out, but somehow just kept making it. I was happy.
1: Yeah. And did you, you immediately see... When you go do your shows, just obviously there was just way more people coming to your shows all of a sudden and you were a big star and it was it just that that must have been really exciting, right? Yes. And when we were we, we did a tour
2: with Last Comic Standing, eighty five cities in America and I knew that I did something special in, to people, you know, with my comedy, because, or something about me attracted them besides the comedy, you know, comedy is one thing, but there's also the person, you gotta like the person. When I was in, I went to a place I never heard of, only in songs, you know, Billy, Billy Joe, Allentown, Pennsylvania. Right, sure, yeah. I've only heard of that place in, a, in um, from a song. Yeah. I went to Allentown, and when I went outside, I went to the, I was last, you know, I, I was going up last every show. And there were these two old couple, like old white couple, you know, they were probably 60s, retired, and they were wearing um, sweatshirts with red letters on them. And on the front of the T-shirt, they wrote Team Felipe. <laughs> so, they were, so they're were, so they letting everybody know that they voted for me for last time I was yep. And right there, I knew that um, I did good, you know, I, I was going somewhere.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, you're in Allentown, and you got these. Uh, they were like older people, and they're excited to see. It. It's a completely different, whole new audience, right? Yeah. What What are you writing about now? And what What are you finding funny right now? And is this pandemic and all the craziness in the world is that going to change your material?
2: I think. Uh, wow, this, it's not just a
1: pandemic? People are
2: are just too woke sometimes for their own good. Uh huh. Every day, a new a new kid turns eighteen and opens up a dictionary and start realizing what really happened in this world and they get a little upset. There's some realization, you know. It's like they've been deep programmed, but some people take it to the next level, man. Like I know that, um, as far as like, lat Latino America, Latin America. A lot of Latinos don't want to be called Latinos because it's not just, it's not, it's not just one race. It's just too many races. They want to be called Latinx. So, my thing is, man, I don't want to be called Latinx. I want to be called Latin double X. Right <laughs> you know something like that or or the pandemic i I was walking with wearing my mask with another with another comedian in Oklahoma City, and I come and said, "Oh my God, it smells like fucking shit right now, and I said, Bro, you're wearing your mask, take it off
1: <laughs> yeah. You you gotta wash that mask That mask starts to stink If you don't uh, If you don't throw that In the washer (laughs) Once in a while Tell me about it Yeah (laughs) Now I mean But you mentioned It's too woke now Is that actually something That you're noticing More every year Like you tell a certain joke And people are offended by it When Is that a problem yeah
2: Some people are offended Like if I do a joke About making fun of uh, my, My culture Right There might be somebody From my culture Who might say Oh it's funny when he says it Huh how can we get offended when a white dude says it, you know, and then there's a big, there's a big argument, you know?
1: Yeah.
2: Is it just cause or some people just, people will find something not to like.
1: Yeah. And I guess that's, like I mean, right now, Yeah.
2: like I know that I know people, I, I watched, I'm a, I watched Seinfeld growing up. I'm a Seinfeld fan. I think I, I watch an episode of Seinfeld every day, but people don't know about that. And, um, what I'm starting to see is that Seinfeld is gonna to move to Netflix. So I've been seeing on my Google, you know, I get a lot of Google Seinfeld news. I've been watching I've been watching a trend on Seinfeld news that people are just making up um any, any kind of article to write about how the show, will, oh, would that be offensive now? And then they show a clip of Kramer, just one clip of Kramer saying something about something. And then they'll show, will just be offensive? And then that episode of um, Seinfeld when he gives that cigar, that, that wooden cigar, Native American, and so-and-so. But, you know, so it's just people are weird, man.
1: It becomes a real problem because you have to talk about something slightly controversial in order for it to be funny. You can't just get up there and talk about normal stuff. So yeah. you know, what's going to happen? Is there a solution? Is comedy going to keep getting more and more restricted? Or or ha- how do we get around this as comedians?
2: I think uh, to me, like most comedians... Who are um, successful at doing their their their, their comedy, which whether they're real dark or real blue, or they're gonna have to find their own fans, like everybody else, you know. So that comedian might might have a hard time, you know, performing at the comedy store, you know, or following a or performing at the Laugh Factory. You just gonna have to just stick to your to your heart and what you believe in, and don't quit. And you, little by little, man, you start building a little following. If you were t- there's some comments that I thought were weird, man, like, but I, I saw something in them, like, this guy has something, but I know he's going to grab fans as soon as a bigger audience sees him. because at first nobody really got Eric Andre, you know, but now they get him.
1: Yeah. 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 I love Eric. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, 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 what, what would you say to somebody who wanted to start doing stand up? And, uh, I mean, h- how did you start and how, what's your process? Just technically, how do you write? Do you sit down with a computer? Do you have a pen? Do you just freestyle off the top of your head? What, what do you do? I... My
2: advice to a young comedian would be different from the advice that somebody gave me 20 years ago, because 20 years ago, there was not a lot of things that I are now. I had to go to a library to look up a book about comedy writing. Right. I remember a librarian, I told her I wanted to be a comedian, and she said, um, she took me, we went down the elevator, and she took me to the... English writing books, and there was a book called Comedy Writing Step-by-Step by, Step by Jean Perret. <laughs> now, I'm not saying go to the library and go get that book because you don't need to go to a library. You can just buy it on Amazon or or Google it or somewhere that book will be free on print. It's called Comedy Writing Step-by-Step. Step. And basically, this book, it just tells you how to write jokes, but it don't teach you how to write the joke. It teaches you like the, the brainstorming of a joke. Like, if you're going to write a joke about um, school teachers. You gotta have a, a column, like five columns, and on one side you write all types of teachers that teach. You know, like history teacher, math teacher, gym teacher, health teacher. And then the other side you write random schools that you know. And then the other side you write. Um, Things, funny things you've heard in the classroom growing up, you know, like, an argument you remember from growing up as a school with a school teacher, you know, a bad grade that happened with a school teacher. Anything with a school teacher, you start writing it down. And as a young comic, you need this. You need to brainstorm and write everything down because your mind is not working like somebody that's been doing it for thirty-five years or twenty years. So, like anything else, you gotta train your mind. To start thinking funny, being funny, finding um, the pitfalls in life, you know, like okay, this is sad, but you try to find the funny in that, and that's how I learn uh, from this and hearing other comics and so on. But for now, uh, but I would tell you a young comedian now: learn how to edit on the phone, learn how to how to how to make a good video. Lighting is very important, you know. <laughs> And that's it, man. Put out, I'm to, if you have a good set, put out two minutes at a time. Nobody ready to see five minutes from somebody they never heard of, you know? Right. So you put out a two-minute set on YouTube. Two minutes is enough for somebody to swallow and eat up and want more. You do. You, you put up a, a, a horrible five-minute set and nobody's ever heard of you, let the hate come in, you know Everybody is going to talk
1: bad about it. So is that a big and part? Of a big say, is that a big part of comedy now, uh, where you kind of have to think about how it's going to be online as well as how it's going to be in the club. Yeah,
2: a lot of uh, a lot of um, comedians now. Like I would say, for stand up, I would say. If you record a good set at any comedy club and it looks good and people are laughing, it could go viral, you know? And I remember, like, Angela Johnson, her set was just at the Ice House and they only cut two minutes of it, the best of the three minutes, the best of the seven minutes, and that's all she needed, you know?
1: Yeah. It's amazing. It's inspiring because somebody who's just getting started out could just hit hit that lightning in a bottle, and next thing you know, they're touring the world like you, right?
2: Yes, about when I when I had Rob Schneider on the podcast like a a month ago, he was promoting his Netflix special. Yeah, he also he said that an older comic told him to just have a um, I think Jay Leno told him to just write a, a tight five minutes, you know, a tight five, tight six minutes, concentrate on having the strongest five or six minutes or seven minutes because. No, he said, Nobody here in LA wants to see your 30 minutes. You know, nobody, you're never going to get a chance to do 30 minutes at the comedy store, the laugh or the improv, unless you go over and be a dick, you know? Right, right. But, so, if you have the, so, Ralph Schneider said that he concentrated five, on the five, six minutes he had, and that was the seven minutes that he used on, um, on the Young Comedian show, you know, and then he got SNL with those seven minutes. And he pretty much, did, by the time he went to SNL, he didn't even have 30 minutes because those seven minutes were enough to convince um, that guy... From the SNL to realize that he's a talented
1: guy. Right. So, yeah, Jay told Rob that when he was a kid, when he was just starting out to do Five Minutes. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. You miss going down to the comedy store, I'm sure, and uh, the improv and the LA clubs. Do you get up in the LA clubs a lot? And uh, is that, is that, how's that affect you personally, not being able to just go out on any night of the week and tell some jokes? Is it, do you feel different not having that release? I I miss it. I
2: I feel like I've been locked out of my home. I, I, even, um, I like the camaraderie too, you know? I like to just know that if I get something, ever, if I ever throw down of, uh, anything, that I could just drive and go to the comedy store or any of the comedy clubs. And I know there's people there and family, you know, they're like family. They know what's going on. Even though I don't even got to say nothing. I could just go inside a little red bar or just hang out behind somebody. Nobody's going to kick me out. You know, they know who I am. And that's what, that's what I always like, you know, the fact that I could just kick it, you know. Kick it. Because I remember I was <laughs> uh, hanging out the improv as a young comic. Yeah. I was just chilling, man. Chilling. Yeah. Chilling. Yeah. And I just got off from the show. And I'm, and I'm you know... I was drinking a soda, and I looked over to my right, and I see, I see fucking Gallagher chilling, man. Right. <laughs> and I told Gallagher, hey, Gallagher, I'm gonna go over there with these fools, and we're gonna smoke a joint. You wanna come? He said, he said, let me finish my drink, and I'll go with you guys. Uh-huh. So we're hanging out with um, Gallagher, and he dropping knowledge, you know, good knowledge. He he showed us his um he said that he was one of the first guys to get a marijuana card. Yeah. That it was given to him by that guy Jack Herrera who who had that weed jack hair. Yeah,
1: okay. But then <laughs> then he
2: said, Hey guys he said hey guys, I have to go now. My son is performing in a play down the street. Uh-huh. I left during the intermission to go see see what's going on here at the improv. Right. And I, and I just moved a joint and a beer, and I haven't done none of those things in fifteen years, and I have to go back to my family like nothing
1: happened. Uh huh. Uh huh. Wow. Well, so I, I loved, thought that was cool, man. I loved Gallagher. I met him a couple times, but I loved him when I was uh, growing up. The, the 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 physical comedy, the the props that he used, just was amazing. Is it was he somebody that you looked up to? And who are the comedians that you grew up looking at and saying, oh, "I want to do that"?
2: <laughs> I looked up. I looked up. um a lot of comics: Roddy Dangerfield, um, Paul Rodriguez, Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor. But I, I liked Gallagher because he was like more like like Andy Kaufman, like you know, like he's he um, he wasn't afraid to to do a whole set in roller skates. Huh,
1: uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was the best. Now, what? What? Like, what do you think uh, when we get back from this? out of this crazy year and we're back doing stand up, do you think people are gonna wanna hear about this pandemic or are they wanna not even gonna wanna hear about it anymore? On stage in jokes. I think people want to hear about everything.
2: They're gonna want to hear about your your take on the pandemic because everyone's take on the pandemic is different. Especially here in my house. My son been on Zoom with his um school since the pandemic started and He's working with, say, anatomy and film. And my my wife has an MBA, and so she does all the schooling, you know. She, she's the principal, the dean, the guiding counselor. And me, I don't have an MBA. I have a, half a GED. I mean, I did it, but I didn't mail it. So I'm like the janitor here. I'm the custodian. <laughs> yeah. Whenever my wife and my son argue and when he doesn't want to do his work, my wife looks at me and says like a teacher you want to be you want to do your homework or you want to be grow up to be like that loser over there cleaning
1: <laughs> is family a huge source for material for a comedian i would say uh, family is a big part of people's
2: um uh, stand up if they grew up like in a in a real fucked up family you know because I know that comedians who grew up in a good... I know comedians, when they tell me they gotta, they're going to go home and call their dad or they're going to go home and call their their mom or their father every day, I know that they're going to write just jokes. Uh-huh. They're going to write jokes and not talk about their parents, you know? Right. Because you know they had a good upbringing. Their, their father played cash with them, you know? I, I, I can't even I can't write a joke about my dad playing cash but I could write a joke about me playing baseball across the street from the house and my dad never wore into a game
1: yeah yeah so you think being fucked yeah, can, up do you think having a fucked up family is helpful for a comedian I mean it's not it's a hell no no I mean for, for a comedian's
2: act yes a fucked up family and a fucked up life is good for a comedian to write material for a but as a but for insanity, no, no. I mean, Mister. Weeden would have to be strong, man. He because he's in a find he, he's he hasn't dealt with a lot of stuff. Like me, um, I talk about domestic violence in my new special, and that's something that I, I haven't dealt with. And it happened when I was like it happened when I was six years old, and my, I have my brother on the podcast. And we talked about it and that was the first time we ever talked about this stuff. What? Forty years later we're talking about um domestic violence that happened to our that happened to me and him with my mom and my dad.
1: Yeah. So
2: I thought that was a healing process for me and him.
1: That's really what comedy is for, right? I mean, for the audience and also for the performer. It's a healing process, right? To be able to get these things out in the open.
2: Yeah. And people People who work all day, who are not entertainers, who don't know who don't know how to play a piano, who don't know how to hold a note, who don't know how to who don't know how to um, write a joke or tell a joke, but but these guys know other skills. Like they, they have um other skills. They need us, man. They need us to keep them sane, you know. They need us to make them laugh and entertain them. And there's a high, man, when you laugh. Cause I remember laughing when I was a little kid. And going home laughing, thinking about Richard Pryor's jokes, was my kept well, me sanity, kept me sane. Yeah, and and the, we, and the retelling of the joke to someone else, even though I never said the joke the right way.
1: Yeah, we 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 need that now more than ever, right? Well, that's it's with everything going on in this world, comedy is probably more important than it's it's ever been.
2: Yes, man. We need coming more than ever right now in these hard times.
1: Yeah. Well, Felipe, I appreciate you calling the show. Uh, it's always great talking to you. And uh, you know, I want to wish you all the best with everything you're doing. With you, you have a new special coming out. Uh, tell me a bit about what's 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 next. What's happening next?
2: I, right now, I have two new specials. Right now, that are streaming on Netflix. Bad Division, Malas Decisiones. Spanish and English, two specials. And I'm in a movie that's coming out September 4th with, um, Pauly Shore, Eric Griffin, Bobby Lee. I have a small role. I play a priest, Father Jeff.
1: Nice. That sounds like a fun and, movie. <laughs> that's that's yeah. going to be, I mean, be a funny I, one.
2: Yeah, you could buy it or download it on September 4th everywhere and go check it out. Okay. and, I, I, I've been pitching right now To the networks again For a sitcom With um, a comedian from Mexico the a comedian actor His name is Omar Chaparro And he's with um, Three Pots um, Eugenio Derbez And we got Eric Tannenbaum From Two and a Half Men And Greg Doyle From Gronish And Ismael Some guy named Isaac Martinez and he's a writer. Yeah.
1: So we'll see what happens, bro. So we're gonna see you on the back on the on the TV soon. I'm sure that's amazing. Well, we'll 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 all be watching the special. Best of luck with that, and uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you in person again soon. Hopefully at the bar at the comedy store, we can have have some laughs in person next time. Okay. For sure, man. I'm down. Okay. <laughs> Muchas gracias, amigo. Gracias. Buenas tardes. Muchas gracias, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, adios and ciao and. Gracias, Felipe. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Tom Green Interview. I uh, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed talking to Felipe. He's had incredible success, and I'm I'm just so for, so happy for him. I've gotten to hang out with Felipe a few times uh, over the years here in Los Angeles, and it's always been an awesome uh, good time. And thank you for listening. Uh, Now, I don't know if you know about the code word, but there is a code word on this podcast. Sometimes I make up new ones, uh, but we've had two in the past. The code word has been Zamboni. And it's also been sassafras. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean, code word? What do you mean, code word, Tom? What do you mean by code word? Well, if you ever run into me in person as I'm traveling around America, or if you ever uh, leave a message on my social, social media, if you write at the end of your message the word sassafras or zamboni, or if you run into me on the street or backstage at a comedy club or on my travels in my van and you say sassafras, I'm going to look at you, and I'm going to notice you, and I'm going to say, Hey, dude, I know you. You know me. You listen to the podcast. You listen to the podcast, man! So that's uh, kind of a, a, little, uh, a little tip. If you want to get in my, in my good graces, uh, when, we, when we run into each other, we'll have an instant connection. Sassafras or Zamboni. Um, again i'm I'm getting ready to take off in this van right now just to give you a full context. Now when this airs, just so you understand, uh, this may you know be airing after I've left in the van, but just to give you a little dose of reality, this is happening right before I went on the van trip. And I am so excited about this. If you're wondering about what the van trip is, you can go to my Instagram or my YouTube and check it out. But I am bringing cameras. I'm bringing survival gear. I am bringing fishing equipment. I'm bringing gas stoves to cook. I'm going to have all of this exciting stuff happening. And I'm going to be broadcasting it all. On this podcast, there'll be. Look for special episodes where I talk about the van, the van life, hashtag van life, but also on my social media. And I want you to follow along with me and be a part of the adventure with me. So, again, I'm thrilled about this. Uh, I'm going to be spending some time also with family uh, this winter coming soon. So look forward to me sitting down with my, uh, as people might think, long-suffering parents. But they're actually doing fine. We actually get along fine. I know I did a lot of pranks on my parents when I was growing up uh, for my show on MTV and my public access shows and things. But I haven't done pranks on my parents in years. And very soon I'll be staying with them. Uh, up in Canada, and I'm really looking forward to, uh, to spending some time with them. And I'm going to have them on the podcast soon. So... Also, uh, stay tuned for some uh, call-in episodes. Uh, If you want to call into this show, I will be doing special episodes that you can call in. And uh, the way you'll be able to do that is follow me on Twitter, at Tom Green Live, and follow me on YouTube and on Instagram, and subscribe to those. And whenever I go live to do a call-in show, what I'll do is I'll tweet out or post the phone number in one of those places, and then you'll be able to... um, You'll be able to call in and talk to me and I'll I'll, I'll record those episodes and and we'll be posting those as well. So all sorts of fun stuff happening here. Uh, I want to thank everybody who's been part of my little world for the last 20 years or so or more. Um, I I really am enjoying uh, what I do now more than ever. Uh, And even though we're going through some crazy times in our world, I am enjoying interacting and communicating with all of you here on the Tom Green interview and, uh, and uh, thank you for listening, and thank you to Audio Up, and uh, we'll see you next week. Stay tuned. This has been another episode of the Tom Green interview. Zamboni, sassafras, sayonara, adios, goodbye. We'll see you next time.
0: Bye.